0: Okay, that's the announcements. let's get to the Word. This, is a, this was a difficult sermon to write because there's such encouragement and also such judgment in both sides of it. So I'll, you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute, but the name of the message this week is Keeping Promises.
1: Raise your hand
0: if you think the modern church is super faithful and obedient to everything Jesus has commanded us. Really? So if you had to rate, and just do this, don't, don't, don't scream these out, but if you had to rate the faithfulness of the church of Jesus on a scale of 1 to 10 throughout its history, like from the beginning to now, where would it be? You know, 4, 5, 6, 2, 3, 9, what would it be? I mean, if you think of all the, the, the blunders and the embarrassing mistakes and the theological flaws and errors that have crept in, the list of how the church has failed is quite long. The next question, though, on a scale of 1 to 10, considering all that, right, the church is not perfect, on a scale of 1 to 10, how faithful has the church been in spreading the gospel throughout the world since Jesus ascended and gave us the Great Commission? What I mean by that is how many millions and millions of people in nations across human history have been saved through the church preaching the gospel. I mean it's pretty clear if you stop and think about it that way it's pretty clear this movement called the church of Jesus it is global and it is growing and in many places it is in fact thriving beyond anyone's imagination. So the question becomes this if the church is so flawed throughout history how do we reconcile its lack of faithfulness to its faithfulness when it comes to the great commission these things aren't at odds right like i asked you all one to ten like how do y'all thought the church had been faithful nobody wanted to raise their hand but there's this other side of the evidence that says that it has been faithful how do we reconcile i mean considering all our challenges all our distractions all our weaknesses how does the church just keep advancing does this make any sense I mean, the church, especially the American version of it that we have today, is extremely dysfunctional, yet it's still incredibly effective. Could it be that the church's faithfulness isn't as reliant upon human effectiveness as we would like it to be or as we think it is? Perhaps there's a a divine force, a, a faithful promise keeper who is ensuring that despite all of the church's flaws, that we're going to be faithful to our mission. I believe today's passage reveals the foundational truth about why followers of Jesus will remain faithful despite our weaknesses. The passage today, Joshua, chapter 21, starting in verse forty-three, and it goes to chapter 22, verse 9. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he promised to their fathers. They took possession of it, and they settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he promised to their fathers, and none of their enemies withstood them. For the Lord gave all their enemies into their hands, and not one word of all the good promises the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. All of them came to pass. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and one half of Manasseh, and said, You have kept all Moses commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, and to this day, but you have carefully kept the charge of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised. So turn and go to your tents into the land where your possession lies, which gave you, which which God gave you on the other side of the Jordan? Be kept, be very careful to observe the commandment and the law of Moses, and the servant of the, serve, the servant of the Lord commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and keep His commandments, cling to Him, and serve Him with all your heart and soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now the half of Manasseh Moses gave a possession in Bashan, but the other half Joshua gave possession. Beyond, uh, beside their brothers in the lands west of the jordan and when joshua sent them away to their homes he blessed them and he said to them go back to your tents with much wealth with very much livestock silver gold bronze and iron with much clothing divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers so the people of reuben gad and one half of manasseh returned home from the people of israel to go to the land of gilead their own land which they had possessed themselves I command of the Lord through Moses there's some things here I'm gonna remind you about about these two and a half tribes in just a moment but I want you to see the historical aspect of this passage is critical for us to understand what to do with it today I want you to see that we have a list of promises made and promises kept first I want you to see the undeserved favor that Israel has received from the promises of the Lord so since crossing the Jordan under Joshua's leadership Israel has faced numerous battles and they've learned many lessons. They've had many successes. Remember Jericho, remember the battle of Ai. First it was a failure, then it was a raging success. Remember Gibeon, the list is long, but they had a long list of challenges and failures as well. Remember the stories like Achan and his sin and how they were deceived by the Gibeonites because they did not seek God's guidance. And Israel failed to completely drive out their enemies. We saw that in Joshua chapter 13 through 20. And even though God promised to do it for them, all they had to do was go and take the land. And God would clear the land for them, just as he did the rest of Canaan. And that failure to drive out needlessly prolonged their campaign in Canaan, wasted years and lives and resources. These are the ones we know about, right? I mean, I can't imagine how many individual failures are included in Joshua. But despite their laziness, despite their unfaithfulness, despite their disobedience, and despite their dishonesty, and despite their arrogance, sound familiar? God kept his promises at every turn. He gave Israel all the land he promised. He defeated every enemy that came against them, no matter how great that's one part of the promises kept i want to see the second part of the promises kept in this passage i want to talk about these ride or die tribes right so younger generations like to use this phrase ride or die like as an affectionate label right for anyone who has proven that they'll be with you no matter what oh they're my ride or die whether winning or losing or thriving or struggling or laughing or crying everyone needs to have people who are ride or die That's what these two and a half tribes in chapter 22 are, Reuben, Gad, and one half of the tribe of Manasseh. They were ride or die for the rest of Israel. So just in case you don't remember, before Moses died, these two and a half tribes, before they crossed uh, crossed the Jordan River into Canaan, they asked Moses for the pasture lands east of the Jordan. They said, we don't want to go into Canaan. We'd rather stay here. It's a good place for our cattle and our livestock. See, they were shepherding tribes. And those planes were ideal for the way of life that they wanted for themselves and their family and moses granted their request on one condition that they would fight alongside of the rest of israel until they received their inheritance until they could take their land now later on moses is dead and joshua takes over leading israel into the promised land and he calls on them. He says, do you remember your promise? Look at Joshua chapter 1. We, we studied this early on in our series. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all your men of valor shall pass over armed before your brothers and help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land the Lord is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, the land Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, do you remember who these two-and-a-half tribes are? I think the faithfulness of these two-and-a-half tribes is probably, in my opinion, the most inspirational human part of the book of Joshua. This was no small commitment, leaving their families and their children and their homes to fight alongside their brothers in Canaan. I mean, their promise cost many of them a big portion of their adult lives. Some of them probably died in battle or got sick or got old in Canaan while fighting. And now after years of faithful service being the ride or die for their brothers, there to fight for them for land that was not their own, it was for their brothers, the time has come for Joshua to release them and reward them. So that's the history. The theology of this passage is equally fascinating. I've called this section Promise Keepers. So you see, right, there are two examples of Promise Keepers in this story. There's God, and then the two and a half ride-or-die tribes who fought with their brothers for years. I want you to see that they were faithful men and women. Yes, the fighting men of Reuben, Gad, and Hathom were faithful and obedient, and they kept their promises, but their wives and their families paid the price back home also. They remained faithful to God while waiting for their men to return from fighting in a foreign land. Here's the question, though. How much credit do they really get for these good things that they did? I mean, clearly, there was a greater power at work here. See, I believe that this is a beautiful Old Testament example of a New Testament truth that we have explored so often here at Grace, like Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. Remember this: for we are His workmanship, created in Christ's for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk into or trip over, trip or stumble over. Here's the thing, before these men could ever even think or plan about keeping their promises, before they even could make their promise, God had to keep his promises first. Their faithfulness was, in fact, divinely driven, and it was only possible because God kept his covenant promise before they did. Let's look at God's promises. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 to 9. Look what what this book says. this, This is what Deuteronomy says. It was not because when God chose Israel to be his people. It was not because you were greater than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people. It was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the covenant. He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh. know therefore that the lord is god the faithful god who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations see prior to those promises israel had never done anything to merit those covenant promises from god you understand that god had looked down on the nations Oh, we got we got the We've got the Gideonites, and we got the Persians, and we've got the Egyptians, and look, I'm looking at all these, and look, these people of Abraham, they're the best ones. I'm picking them. It's like those people who are now like Kansas City Chiefs fans because of Patrick Mahomes, all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a Chiefs fan. You're not. <laughs> you know, quite the opposite. When God, when God made these promises to Abraham, God was not backing a winner by any stretch. They were the most unlikely nation to, to be able to fulfill all that God would call them to do, yet somehow they did it. Even though Israel would often fail, miserably, by the way, to keep their end of the deal, God never failed in his promises to them. In fact, in fact, God kept his promises even when his people did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. And this story teaches us the foundation of God's relationship with his people, how it relies upon his faithfulness and not yours, not ours. This story teaches us how it is God's promise keeping that enables us to be faithful and righteous people. God as a covenant keeper both provided the opportunity for their good works, and also kept them faithful in doing it. So this story that I've just shared with you, some of you may not realize this, but this story is a massive theological narrative woven throughout scripture that we call covenant theology. More on that later on. Personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? I'm asking this question. Are we right or die? This was a sermon preview this week. When God's people are obedient, it's because God keeps His promises first. Humanly speaking, Israel and those two and a half tribes were given an impossible command to enter and conquer Canaan. On their own, they would have never even crossed the Jordan River. In fact, they didn't really want to go in the first place. Remember that? How many times? No, we don't want to go. It's too hard. Stay here. I'd rather go back to Egypt. Let's just hang out in the wilderness. (laughs) Question to you, how long do you think those tribes, those two and a half tribes, would have remained faithful if God had not parted the Jordan River? How long would they remain faithful if God had not defeated Jericho? or brought victory at the Battle of Ai? Do you think that those two and a half tribes would have kept their promises if God had not confused that huge alliance of 11 kings at Gibeon? Do you think they would have kept their promises if God had not sent hailstones at that battle, or made the day longer so they could finish off the enemy? On a personal level, for you, Are you ever fearful that you will not be ride or die to what God has called you to do? Another question. Do you really think that we have any chance at all in this world of being faithful and obedient on our own just because we choose to? Spoiler alert. No, you don't have a chance. I don't care how strong your decision is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Look at this verse. I love this. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Our obedience and our faithfulness is powered by the same thing that enabled Reuben, Gad, and one half the tribe of Manasseh's obedience. Just as God kept his promises for them, our Jesus is keeping his promise to be with us always until our calling is complete. <laughs> the faithfulness of our covenant keeper inspires our gratitude and our confidence and our commitment to our mission, our impossible mission. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Do you see how this idea of covenant theology is woven throughout Scripture? Like the tribes, who stood by their brothers, we are called, you are called, to be ride or die in this life for Jesus and for each other in this church. There is no halfway. And we need to be. Because the church has been given a far more challenging job than conquering Canaan. Jesus has commanded us to go into the world and faithfully proclaim the gospel until the day he returns. And since Jesus gave us that command, church history, much like Israel's history, is replete with examples of human frailty. From bad theology to worldly distractions to moral failures of people in leadership and, frankly, people in fellowship. below. Hello. to financial indiscretions. How have we had any success at all? You ever wonder, like, how low are there, like, 150 people in this building today? The church has really been kind of messed up. Yet despite our failures, the church has been remarkably faithful to our calling despite our weakness. The question is, how?
1: Because the promise Jesus
0: keeps for us in the New Covenant is far superior to the promises he kept for Israel in the Old One. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So at Grace Group last Tuesday night, we were discussing some of the theological distinctives that make Grace Life unique as a non-denominational church. And I mentioned that we embrace this thing that I mentioned earlier called covenant theology. And so the group said, okay, summarize that in 15 seconds. (laughs) They didn't say 15 seconds, but I saw it in their eyes. They wanted me to do (laughs) that. You want the summary of covenant theology? Here it is. You ready? And I gave it to the group that night. God gets all the credit for anything good his people might do. Anything that gives man any credit is a lie. That's basically covenant theology in a nutshell. Whether you choose christ whether you're obedient and faithful that's not because of your decisions because of god's covenant keeping. our connection with god our obedience to our calling is always a result listen always a result of jesus our great beautiful covenant keeper we are or when we are obedient and when we are faithful we don't take credit for it, although we want to. What we really should do when we are faithful, we are obedient, we are successful in the Great Commission, you know what it really is? It's a comfort. Here's why. Because it is evidence that Jesus is still keeping his promises. Every time the church, despite our flaws and our sinfulness and our weakness and our dysfunction, God uses us to to bring someone else into the kingdom, it should be evidence, well, the covenant keeper is still on the job. All the Father has given him will come to Him. No one can take them out of his hand. And he's using us to bring them in. Wow. How did he do it? We don't know, but I'm glad he does. Our faithfulness, our reliability, our endurance, all of that are a direct result of our Jesus keeping his new covenant promises to us that he made. Because of that, because of that, we who follow him, you ready? We'll always... Ultimately, faithfully proved to be ride or die for Jesus and his church. Do you see that? Now listen, here's the problem. This new covenant Jesus has made with his church reveals the other side of this as well. First John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us. But they were not of us. Or if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have never left. Ouch. You know, we'll learn in our next series after Joshua, it's just a few weeks away, our next series after Joshua is on the book of James. Oh yeah, you think so now. We will learn in our series on James that those who don't prove over time to be ride or die. You know why? Because they're not part of the covenant with Jesus. Right, right, right. That's what James means when he tells us that faith without evidence of transformation means that faith is not real. It is a dead faith. That type of faith will not deliver ride or die faithfulness. People that don't have a part in the covenant of Jesus, you know how you'll know who they are? They will be unreliable. They'll be unstable. They'll be unfaithful when it comes to kingdom work. They won't be ride or die. They'll be ride if it's smooth. Ride and look for an exit. Ride and hold back some stuff for themselves. They will show up occasionally when it's convenient or when it's beneficial. When the church has something that they want or has something that they need. But the fact is, once the fighting gets tough, or the world becomes too alluring or too tempting, they won't stay for long. So you are either one or the other. Unreliable, or ride or die with Jesus and his church. Which are you today? Ride or die. Good to hear it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, we have been given a very tough job A very tough job right here at Mount Lockwood Ridge I'm just going to tell you right now we will never be faithful without Jesus keeping his promises first there is no way there is no way that Grace Life would be meeting in this building today as a church family if Jesus isn't keeping his promises there is no way any of you would have the gift of faith To become followers of Jesus and be baptized and and be discipled if Jesus isn't first keeping his promises. There's no way we as a church would be faithful to what God has called us to do if he isn't keeping his promises. You know those baptismal services I talked about earlier? The ones we've had and hopefully we'll have another one soon? They don't happen unless Jesus is keeping amen our faithfulness will always be a result of our jesus the greatest covenant keeper keeping his promises to never leave us or forsake us and to empower us with his spirit and his word our obedience is always church always a direct response Of gratitude to our God who loved us first when we, frankly, weren't and sometimes still aren't very lovable. Isn't it a comfort to know that grace life, despite all of its flaws and dysfunction, and we got plenty of it, isn't it comforting to know that we will be right or die for Jesus? because he is our covenant keeper. Isn't it comforting to know that you can be a part of a church family that is so messed up because Jesus is the great covenant keeper, we will be right or die. Isn't it a comfort to know that because Jesus always keeps his promises, those who follow him will be right or die no matter what the world offers them? We will not be unstable. We will not be unreliable. We might be imperfect. We might be flawed. We might screw up a lot. We might make mistakes, and we might hurt one another, and we, all kind of things. But you know what? We're not leaving because we are of the body of Christ. It will not be said of us like it was said of the others. Those who left were never really part of us. Dear Jesus. We're so thankful that because you are the great covenant keeper, the great promise keeper, you paved the way for these good works, which you have prepared beforehand that we trip over. We're so grateful, dear Jesus, that in spite of our flaws and our faults and our dysfunction and all the different ways that we get distracted and sometimes even hurt each other, Despite of all that, somehow through your covenant, you keep us on task and faithful and the church keeps going. You keep saving people through the proclamation of the gospel, even when we're not really good at it. Lord, we recognize just like those two and a half tribes don't get credit for their faithfulness, we don't get credit for ours. We know that any theology that teaches that we get credit is a lie. And we know that you always get the credit. Dear Jesus, we are perfectly fine with that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful that you are reliably reliable promise keeper. In Jesus' name, we pray. Yeah. Amen. 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 Woo!